Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Nora Loretto, writer, activist, organizer in Quebec City. Welcome back. Thanks. Nora, today we are going to talk about the agony and the ecstasy and the agony of Omar Khadr. And we are going to talk about the love that dares to speak its name. Raccoon love. (laughs) Rough trade. Stabby Malik. (laughs) This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Caden Agnew, Jacob Cormier, Benjamin Pinnock, Brett Robertson, Corey Stanford, Kate McLeod, Malcolm Johnson Greenaway, and Renee Lalonde. My name is Renee Lalonde, and I work in communications in the greater Toronto area. I support Canada Land because it keeps me up to date on media layoffs and acquisitions, and also so it can be free for broke journalism students. Nora, I'm going to thank our sponsor today, which is a Daisy Lounge chair. I have one in my backyard. I got this article furniture over the winter, and it's been sitting in the garage, and we finally uh, unwrapped the stuff. Have you priced out patio furniture anytime recently, Nora? Okay, Jesse, do you think I have a backyard? <laughs> I like how that's like so posh to imagine that you might have like a deck, a balcony, some outdoor space. I do have a porch. I have a porch. 
Am I too fancy for you? It's pretty fancy, I, I gotta say. I got two IKEA chairs that are falling apart, though. So maybe right. what you say will be interesting to me. What I'm about to say is going to be fascinating to you. So hold on. <laughs> Those of you out there who are buying patio furniture know what I am talking about. Article has wonderful patio furniture, like ottomans, couches, chairs, at a rate that is well below what some of the fancy places are trying to charge you for this stuff. And it's just a lot nicer than the cheapest stuff. Like You don't have to buy the cheapest possible solution. I have these Daisy Lounge chairs. They are wonderful. Anything you get from Article, you can send it back if you don't like it. Anything you get from Article, it's a $49 flat rate shipping fee no matter how much you get if you get a lot of furniture like 999 dollars or more then shipping is free they also have in-room delivery and assembly assistance and you will get 50 bucks off if you buy 100 bucks or more of furniture check out this stylish stuff at article.com slash canadaland 50 bucks off your first purchase of 100 dollars or more All right, Nora, Heather Malik has written a column, the headline of which read, I stabbed a Toronto raccoon. Do not do that. Nora, <laughs> we are going to stay with this story all night if we have to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you have your dessert fork <laughs> ready to dive right yeah, in? Yeah, <laughs> she says. <laughs> Did you read past the headline? Did you read the thing? I read the thing because I had to read the thing for today, but I did not read past the headline and I was not going to read past the headline had I not had to. It was paywalled. So a lot of people were just responding to the headline and they missed the depth and substance of this piece. Little conversation around around the office, by the way. Do we have to do like a topic on this story, Jesse? To which I answer, just one topic? <laughs> Hell yes, we're going to talk about this on the show. I could do 32. I mean, you saw social media exploded over this. There were 32 short takes on Heather Malik, And I think that we are going to go through every one of them today, Nora. Okay, great. Or at least like three. I don't know. First of all, like, what the hell was this column? Let me, okay, I'll read a little bit of this. I feel like I should do my best, like Dorothy Parker. Uh, I stabbed a Toronto raccoon. Do not do that. I stabbed a raccoon with a fork. He was after me, but to what purpose, I cannot say. Your Honor, what the hell is this voice I'm doing? Your Honor, <laughs> I don't think food, and I hope not sex. He was following me around the garden, and I couldn't shake him off. A not unfamiliar sensation, as I am frequently targeted by obsessives. I beg your pardon, your honor, a dessert fork. It goes on like that. It is written as, as she's been hauled before the, the judge to explain why she stabbed the raccoon with a dessert fork. But if you think that this is thin, no, it's not just about Heather Malik eating a cold souffle, no less, with a dessert fork while being accosted by a raccoon who has lascivious erotic intent, or so she imagines. It actually turns out to be a parable. In the end, she relates this to... An early troll she had, a guy who sent her angry mail for 11 years and then disappeared. And then she ends up like searching for him. Whatever happened to him? Did he die? Where is he? And then finally he had written something I discovered unpaid in the saddest place on the internet. For the first time I felt pity. How it must have pained him to feel so small and unheard. But that's not what really caught my attention. He was writing about raccoons in his yard in Ottawa and his great obsession hunting them down. I had been his raccoon. Holy shit, mind blown. It's like the sixth sense. What an ending. It's all about trolling. The raccoon is, you're hunting the raccoon, so you're the troll. 
I don't understand this analogy, but something worked because people really, really responded to this piece of writing. Sorry, this is a piece of writing? <laughs> it was. <laughs> like, it was, it, uh, it, yes. Yeah, come on. Yes. She's <laughs> trying so hard. Have some respect. I can't believe that she manages to admit that her and this troll are now on the same team and he's more successful than she is in murdering raccoons. Right, right. There's layers to this thing. <laughs> you know what? You and I appreciate this in its totality, having read the whole thing. I'm not sure that everybody who responded to it on Twitter actually read the piece. 32 short takes about Heather Malick's raccoon column. The animal rights take from Camille Labchuk. Columnist Heather Malick in the Toronto Star says she stabbed a raccoon in this column. I will be filing a police complaint over animal cruelty and a complaint with star public editor Kathy English. The only word for this is appalling. So that's the low-hanging fruit is how dare she brag about this act of animal abuse. But do you think she actually stabbed the fucking raccoon? Uh, no, I think that she probably lunged at the raccoon and he hissed at her and then ran away. And then she was like, well, my souffle is done, so I better go and write a column so that I can be the worst columnist in all of Canada for a solid <laughs> week. I mean, there, yeah, it is yeah. the worst piece of writing I have read in a long time. And I am not a fan of Heather Malick. I don't read Heather Malick unless I'm at home and I actually have a physical copy of the Toronto Star in my hands. And every single time I read her, it's like, this is illiterate. This does not make any sense. And if you look at the metaphors that she uses in this piece, she moves in between this raccoon wants to kill her. The raccoon wants to bang her. The raccoon is a teenager. The raccoon is an old man who hunts raccoons. I mean, like the guy... I assume who edited this must have punched himself in the face several times through the process of trying to edit this. She contains multitudes. There's, there's text, there's subtext. I don't know what you're saying. Multitudes of shit. But I'll tell you what there isn't. There is no raccoon that was stabbed by a fork. There was no baby that Leah McLaren breastfed. She never did it. These people need shit to write about. They make shit up on a slow week. Come on. Yeah. Calm down. Don't call the police. Take number two. The I have been hurt before by Rosedale socialites take by Jonathan Kay. Oh, Jonathan. There was a whole generation of wasp Toronto columnists whose shtick basically consisted of transcribing the previous weekend's successful dinner party monologue. Southie, Hepburn, and Malik are playing out the last wisps of this unfortunate genre. I mean, he's right in that, like, this was an attempt to tell a funny dinner party anecdote. I bristle at his uh, swipe at Tabitha Southey, who actually is kind of funny and witty. But, you know, he's working out his issues. I think that he's been hurt by walrus and the people who go to those functions. But he's absolutely, Jonathan Kay is right in this occasion, in as much as this is Heather Malick, like, kind of showing her age as, like, there was a time when everybody was trying to write these little ribald pieces of anecdotal satire and, you know, stories from my life and, like, making a cartoon of herself with the cold souffle. And it's just, like, it just fell really flat. I just think it's just not a very, like, she tried, she failed. It happens. It happens when you have to file a lot, as columnists do. Yes, although I don't want to actually give her that much credit because she misses far more than she doesn't miss her columns, right? Like, Kay... Yeah, I cannot bring myself to say he's right, even if I might agree with what you've just said. But he's touching on, <laughs> I mean, that's a bridge too far for me, but but he's touching on a very interesting point, which is what is the role of political commentators in Canada or in Toronto? And if that role was to regurgitate droll stories that were told at the last weekend's dinner party, I mean, it's a fucking world that I have no clue what that's even like, but then it's even funnier that it's so shit because she's exposing herself as being such a shit fucking writer 
that it's on display and you can read it and you're like, oh, okay, that parable did not work. But that's an interesting analysis about the role of what political columnists should be at a, at a newspaper like the Toronto Star. And so as someone who's a political columnist, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And thank you again for exposing yourself as being unworthy to hold that position, Heather Malik. Well, with that take in mind, here is the <laughs> whataboutist political take from Senator Denise Batters. Oh, what? Recall that this author, Heather Malik, has defended Trudeau on hashtag lavscam, perhaps more fervently than anybody else. Does she think raccoon equals huge problem, but interference in a criminal prosecution equals no big deal? Huh. <laughs> Sorry, huh. Are, we, are we supposed to believe that Denise Batters has never eaten a raccoon? I mean, come on. (laughs) The equity in media take from Desmond Cole. The Toronto Star. Desmond, we hold our columnists to the highest ethical standards. You need to act right or else. Also the Toronto Star. And then a screenshot of, I stabbed a Toronto raccoon. (laughs) Do not do that. Desmond making a perfectly apt point here that there are different rules for different columnists at the Toronto Star. Desmond was not filing any raccoon stabbing columns in his brief column ship at the Star before uh, he was told you can't be an activist and a columnist and uh, and he left. And his take, I retweeted that take, that was excellent and he's right. And again, it, it shows that if you write nothing, you will be more palatable than someone who actually writes to criticize power. Uh, especially if you're criticizing power within the city of Toronto. All right, Nora, it's all been leading up to this. The one true take, the humanitarian Jesse Brown take. I used to be on a CBC regular panel with Heather Malik. She was nice. She was like your kind of dotty aunt who like, she's like your like second wave feminist aunt. Who's like, you know, the takes haven't aged well, but she just sort of like lets it all hang out. And she's like, she'll be audacious. She's gotten into so much trouble before. She wrote during uh, Sarah Palin's candidacy uh, with John McCain that Palin resembled like a toned down porn star and, (laughs) you know, something about Republicans being impotent. And it was like that was right at the moment when she realized she was no longer writing for a sympathetic Toronto star readership. And now there was this thing called the Internet that was looking for extreme stuff like that to fuel partisan like it got fed into the american political process like look at this columnist who's calling our candidate a porn star and calling us impotent and she was trolled and she's never recovered from that trolling like she just like found herself in the eye of a hurricane that was the american presidential election and she got like torrents of hate mail and ever since then the internet's been her enemy she's blocked me and thousands of others on twitter you know she like she's been from the globe to cbc now to the star and every like five to 10 years, she writes some ludicrous thing that gets people very, very angry. And, you know, like, what do we do in Canada? Like, you know, it's not their fault. Like we have this class of columnists who in a, in a sane system would have been told some time ago, okay, let's make way for some new ideas. And now they're just like, like Conrad Black and Heather Malik and like, you know, Leah McLaren's got to write about this. She's got to write about something. And so it's only a matter of time. Before they write something like this, before it's I bought a crack house or I killed a raccoon or I breastfed Michael Chong's baby or, you know, like, do we have no compassion for people who have to write out of their asses who, you know, that's their job and and they're no longer tethered to the world in which the rest of us live? Is there no feeling in you, Nora, for this class of columnists? I have negative feelings towards them. I mean, it is baffling to me to read this. Like, as someone who's a political writer who has been stonewalled to be published in Canadian mainstream publications, fucking name it, right? I can't get published in in Canada in a lot of places. and, And thank God there's the National Observer who's willing to publish my column. And I don't really 
like your job is to be able to write every single week on the matters of the day, whether that's something that's happened to you personally, whether that you're commenting on, on SNC Laval and less like that is your fucking job. And my God, I would, I would fucking stab a rabbit to have that job. (laughs) (laughs) I wish this for you. You know what? I think that yours is an important voice that we don't hear enough of. I think somebody should give you a mainstream column. And this is what I wish for you. I wish that in your geriatric years, as you float away from relevance, People still publish your personal diary (laughs) on a weekly basis as an act of kindness rather than place you on an ice flow. That's what I want for you. Does she have a pension? Because fuck, I don't have a pension and I will have to start resorting to that in 50 years. But I do think that what you're saying is interesting, that the Internet has ravaged people's mental health. And I think that that is uh, true. Malik, there's signs of that all over the place, you know, as she has been very liberal with anybody that has lightly criticized her stuff. She blocks them. She doesn't want to hear the criticism. And then there's other Toronto Star columnists who are in the in the same boat. I have sympathy to that to an extent. Malik, who I do not know, took a swipe at me in one of these rambling stream of consciousness columns in the summer talking about what I said about the Humboldt Broncos crash and it was completely false and fucking inflammatory. And so she not only cannot take it, but she dishes and she dishes and she dishes. And so it's like, at what point does a Toronto star become negligent by continuing to have someone like this writing every week? Or is the Toronto star going to come out and say, yeah, actually, that column was pretty good. And if that's the case, and it's like, okay, well, (laughs) we can engage in that discussion. But I mean, I don't have much sympathy for Malik at all, other than if she's writing because she needs the work. I mean, we need better pensions and people need to have time to retire and live out the rest of their days, not on an ice flow, but in some nice deck chair furniture. Nora, do you have a duly noted for the show in which we note things duly when necessary? I do have a duly noted. And this one is something that keeps happening. And it happened most recently, a couple of days ago, two days ago, I think, to a Radio Canada journalist whose name, unfortunately, I could not find. But you'll know the trope. He's reporting uh, from the outside of the Leafs game and someone comes up to him while he's reporting and uh, starts touching him and continues to touch him. And this keeps happening. Reporters who are on the job, live, talking on their microphone, and someone comes up behind them and starts harassing them. Sometimes it's sexual harassment. Sometimes they're whispering in their ears. And I don't understand why news agencies don't seem to be taking this seriously. And instead, we're relegated to saying, wow, so-and-so kept their cool. Wow, they did such an amazing job while their harassment was on full display for the world to see. And I'm frustrated by that because unless management, news agencies start making policies to say, look, the second that this starts happening, we're going to cut the feed, for example, It's going to keep happening and forcing the person who's the subject of the harassment while they're also doing or trying to do their job to be the one to stop it or to address it is so unfair. It's a question of workplace safety. And I am disgusted to see that it just keeps happening. And worse, it stays on air. And so we get several seconds. Sometimes it feels like up to 10 seconds of uncomfortable touching of a journalist just trying to do their job. I hear you, and I think that the trope that you're referring to, just to be descriptive to people who might not know, is the fuck her right in the pussy yelling Oh man, you don't have to say that. It's just this shitty, stupid, harassing, offensive thing that people do uh, to journalists. It is a crime if you are touching someone. It is, I think, disgusting, vulgar behavior. 
I think that your suggestion that they should just cut the feed is a good one. So you basically like demotivate this thing. Like you're not going to get your little bit of airtime. I'm totally in favor of when people are like, oh, I know that guy. Let's ask his boss if he's okay with this guy saying shit like that. I'm totally on side with you that like, you know, word up to the journalists who just do their jobs and maintain their cool. They haven't done anything wrong. But I hear you the praising them for that. Like, what if they didn't? What if they turned around and smacked them in the face? What if they turned around and yelled at the person? That would be okay, too. There's totally. no wrong way to deal with somebody who's accosting you like that. The only thing where I'm going to push up against you here is the workplace harassment thing. We do our jobs in public. We don't own that space. Our workplace is their public square. If somebody, there's no, people don't have to respect the fact that I'm doing a news hit or that I'm recording radio somewhere. If you want to come and do your culture jamming thing and yell into my, if you have disrespect for the media, it's a public space. And I accept that we do our work in public. It's not an excuse for harassing behavior, assaults. It's not an excuse for yelling obscenities where there's kids. Like, But, you know, I just think it's just like a little too, too this whole workplace harassment angle. Ah, except that the public ends the second that someone's hand is on your body. And so I appreciate that there are things that might happen that people do on air. The second that someone is touched and the second that it crosses the line into harassment, that shit needs to stop. Agreed. Duly noted. I have one. Give her. Somebody got sued and, and it wasn't us. Ricochet Media is going to court. Who'd have thought that they would get sued before we would? But um, I take no pleasure in that. I'm just pointing it out. This is an interesting one. It could have just as easily been us. We published a satirical obituary uh, lambasting Conrad Black. They published a whole tradition of satire of the satirical obituary for the person who's still alive as a way of uh, scorching them. They published a satirical excoriating obituary for Quebecor columnist Richard Martineau. Mm-hmm. Can you tell people a little bit? Do you, are you familiar with the works of Richard Martineau? Richard Martineau is one of the worst in Quebec media. This guy is horrible. He's so horrible that he was actually banned from Facebook last week. <laughs> I haven't looked at the details of what this lawsuit is. I, I imagine that you have that right at your fingertips. But Martineau is the worst of the worst of the worst. And he constantly says things to inflame, uh, to incite racial tensions, or just makes you want to set your newspaper on fire. The only difference in the Quebec media world, and specifically with the Journal Quebec, Journal Montréal, where he writes, is they at least have some columnists who are not that bad. Whereas, you know, in Canada, pretty much it's only bad. But Martineau himself is is horrible. I've done my best to orient myself with this. You know, whenever there's a libel case, it's just like, my mind goes like, show me the libelous material. Let's go right for the part that you consider libelous, because it's about the word. It's about what what did Ricochet print about this guy? The fact that you made fun of him in a fake obituary is not libelous. So, you know, using my Google Translate, I you know, I don't want to get this wrong if there was some context that is specific to the French-speaking world. But from what I could tell, this was absolutely fair game, that they were excoriating him for the things that he's written, for how bad a writer he is, for the positions that he's taken. It is absolutely, from what I can tell in the translation that I read, this does appear to me to be libel chill. This appears to, like one of these like paper thin skinned so-called free speech warriors who supports free speech until it's against them. And then they want to go through the courts and it's a bully tactic. I don't think Ricochet had any kind of libel insurance at the time. They've raised money for their legal defense. As far as I can tell, based on my read of this, when they go to defend themselves, they are defending my rights to publish similar material and everybody else's. So just wanted to make note of that because it hasn't really uh, bubbled out of the French media world as far as I can tell. Duly noted. 
This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Nora, you are bilingual. You are in Quebec City. You can help me here, and you can help our listeners to understand the context of this Omar Cotter appearance on Tout le monde en parle. How did I do there, by the way? I didn't uh, completely cringe, but I did cringe a little. Okay, that's actually the best I've ever done. <laughs> oh, okay. Mild cringe is, is uh, a personal best. This is a big deal show in Quebec, in French-speaking Canada. Can you Tell us a little bit about the show. Yeah, Tout le monde en parle does not have like an English counterpart show. This is the most watched show in Quebec. It's a show that can make uh, or break people's popularity or how the public views them. It was famous for helping to launch Jack Layton and his political career in uh, in the early days of what became the Orange Wave. And so Sunday night, you know, if you're a Quebecer and you've got a TV, you're either watching Lavoie, which is like a singing contest, or you're watching Tout le monde en parle. This is where Jack Layton excelled, and then the orange wave came. This is where uh, former Heritage Minister Melanie Jolie bombed out, and just that was it for her. Like, this is, uh, you go before this panel of celebrities and judges and people, and they grill you, and it's kind of fun and like game show carnival-y feeling, but there's also tough questions. Am I getting it right? That's right. There's they, They'll sit there with a glass of wine or a glass of water or both. And it brings a talk show format into kind of a round table. And so every person who's brought on to the show has a moment with the main interviewer, Guy Lapage. And once that's passed, the other people who are on the same episode as you, who, you know, almost always have nothing to do with what you might be there to talk about, then there's a bit of opportunity for some crosstalk between the guests. And, uh, and it's before a live audience. And it makes the news. It's something that politicians want to get on on the eve of elections, that um, people who have uh, who want to put a position forward to change public opinion, they want to get on to Tout le monde en part. 
And its importance really can't be overstated in this province. It's the show. It's the show to try and get on. Let's hear a little bit of what this sounded like. Omar Khadr uh, was speaking in English with a translator. We'll mostly just hear his answers to the questions. So let's play that now. Omar Khadr, bienvenue à tout le monde en parle. Ce qui vous empêchait notamment de vous déplacer librement, vous considérez-vous maintenant comme un homme libre? I'm almost free. From the time I regained consciousness, uh, I was told that I had killed uh, an American soldier. And for uh, the eight years, I believed that I must have done it because I was told that I was the only survivor and that I had done it. So I believed in that uh, all the way up to uh, the trial. And then I started hearing uh, alternate uh, uh, scenarios Mm -hmm. and different testimonies. So I can't tell you exactly what's uh, the true story. Uh, Saying that I was a child sort of assumed that it was uh, a regular war and I was in a regular army. You know, I was with adults. They told me to do something and I did it. I don't hold anything against anybody. And I know people might find that uh, surprising or not believable, but I just think that I have uh, better things to worry about in healing myself than Mm -hmm. to hold a grudge or hate or anger against anybody. So I think that what people saw was, you know, it's not as if it was a complete softball thing. Like he was asked tough questions about... um, whether or not he killed somebody. He was asked tough questions about the settlement that people are very angry about. But I do think it's accurate to say that this was a very humanizing forum for him to, like, it is sort of, if you do well in this forum, I mean, you can flame out, mm-hmm. but if you answer the questions honestly and openly, and, you know, it certainly was a dignified place for him to show himself. He was applauded on the show, and that's got people very angry. Yeah, he came across very much like a human, like a person, which is not something that we see very often in English Canada. You know, there's kind of two eras that mark the the way that Omar Khadr had been covered in Canada. There's the first era, which was him being in Guantanamo and how it was all connected to the international war on terror and the and the kind of the day-to-day or month-to-month updates of court processes. And then there's a second era where he has really been used quite effectively by the right, that range of far right to soft right, as an example of what a certain kind of Canadian finds abhorrent about Justin Trudeau or about the justice system, which is that Omar Khadr, a Canadian, 15 years old, who confessed to killing an American soldier, but who doesn't remember it. In the show, he says that he confessed because it's the only way to get out of Guantanamo and who won a court settlement with the government because the government sent him to be tortured by a foreign government. All of this comes out in the show and he speaks with such class and has no ill comments towards anyone. It's it's such a compelling interview that I felt myself really kind of being plunged into remembering the last 15 years following this case very closely and seeing on the other side of what seemed to be horrible because I'm about the same age as him. And I remember thinking from the perspective of someone who was the same age, like imagine going through that. To see someone emerge on the other end who harbors no ill will, apparently that's, you know, certainly the sense that he gave off on the show and who has tried to just be a normal Canadian, regardless of of these massive storms around him trying to turn him into something else. It's a really remarkable interview. And I think considering the context of Quebec politics right now, where every major bill that the CAC government is trying to pass 
attacks immigrants, it attacks racialized people, racialized workers, and specific with the taxi industry, or the religious symbols ban. It was a very good moment for this interview. And as you said, the questions weren't softballs. They were actually really difficult questions. At one point, they run a tape that many Canadians might remember of Omar crying while he's being interrogated, very clearly a, a kid. And I found that very difficult to watch. I can't imagine what it'd be like to watch that while you're also on Quebec's highest rated show. Nora, I feel like Omar Khadr has become this weird like Rorschach test. Like what you see when you see Omar Khadr tells me a lot about what kind of a Canadian you are or what you think about being a Canadian. And I don't want to give too much time or credibility or attention to the very predictable, angry response. But for the sake of just context, as we are a media show looking at the media response, you know, the angry responses were predictable from, of course, Ezra Levant taking it to its extreme. He sees this as nothing less than the CBC basically conspiring against normal Canadians. Uh, the CBC planned for their Easter special in Quebec to feature Omar Khadr, the Al-Qaeda terrorist and war criminal. That's horrific. But even after the terrorist massacre of Christians in Sri Lanka, CBC proceeded to go to air. They didn't swap that segment out or postpone it. A lot of people saying the same thing, seeing this as like taking a side and the fact that there was this attack on Christians, like this is somehow taking the other side. I think in a separate tweet, Ezra Levant said that this was proof that the CBC hates you, he said to his followers. Nothing less than an outright attack on you, your faith, your values. This guy's a terrorist and a killer, and here he is being made a celebrity, glorified and whatnot. I mean, we can respond to that if you want to. I, like, I just feel like it's it's what it is, and it's, I, I could have written that tweet for him, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, except that Levant has a lot of pull over a lot of people. And what Levant peddles as being the extreme, Andrew Scheer measures himself from Levant and says, OK, well, you know, I don't need to go that far. But Levant is paving the way for me to take a position that is, you know, using Cotter still as a way to to bludgeon Trudeau on the settlement for having allowed a foreign government to torture him. I think that's valid and, you know, it's like kind of setting that far goalpost so you can orient yourself somewhere to the left of that. Um, he has his uses. I just don't find it that interesting. Like what I find really interesting about Omar Khadr is that for most people, they're ambivalent. I mean, I certainly feel like, you know, a nine-year-old kid placed in that kind of situation by his own parents taken abroad, put uh, you know amongst lunatics and bombs, and then, you know, the vulnerability of being in a war zone where the greatest military force the world has ever known is just bludgeoning, just destroying everything, and then you want to hold them responsible, like we're still asking these questions about what you did or didn't do or what you can remember. I mean, literally, like, you know, it's very surprising that he's alive, lost his eye, shot, injured, and then 10 years in Guantanamo Bay, like two and a half years in solitary. And then people saying like, oh, well, he's getting this payoff now. Like, I would not trade places with him. You know, offer me $10.5 million for two and a half years in solitary or 10 years from age like 15 to 25. Like, who would take that deal? Like, we place too much value in money and, and this idea that he's being glorified, like he's living it up now. This guy's had a really tragic life. And you bring up this question of like how sincere he is and like... I don't even care, really, like if he's angry with Canada or if he's sincere in his peaceful reconciliation with Canada. You know, certainly I'm, I'm glad he's not furious. It would be unpleasant. To, like these are kind of like ancillary issues. 
I think that the way that you feel about Omar Khadr is like, look, what makes you Canadian? Is it your race and your religion and your family that makes you Canadian? Or like if you're born in Canada, you have a Canadian passport. And if some foreign government locks you up in some extrajudicial process where you have no rights, Canada's on the hook for letting that happen, you know, and there's a, we have a system of courts that deals with that. So, you know, like when Cotter says on the show that my settlement is for all Canadians, that's appalling to some people, but I understand what he means. What he means is what makes us Canadian is that we are a country of laws, you know, that we're not about the color of your skin or your religion. What was done to me shouldn't have happened to anyone. And if it does happen, there needs to be some kind of, of a due process. And that, that's what played out here. I just want to say, I agree with you. And I think it's also important for us to remember that Cotter comes from the same era as Mayor Arar, who was handed over to Syria and tortured by the Canadian government. And so this protection of Canadian rights and the right to due process is so important. And why is the far right more obsessed with Sergeant Christopher Spear, the person who Cotter killed or allegedly killed or whatever, than, say, the four Canadians who were first killed at, at the start of the war in Afghanistan by so-called friendly fire? I mean, that this is where the details of what happened to Cotter actually don't matter and where we need to see him as being weaponized by the far right to keep people in line and to toe their line that birthright Canadian citizenship is wrong and that religion uh, can disqualify you from being a real Canadian and that Omar Cotter is the symbol of all that is wrong with Canada and we need to make it right. Yeah, that's true of the far right. But what, what I find interesting about the many interpretations of Cotter is how he plays to everyone else. And I think it, it's worth taking our time to consider. It's not just because everyone's under the spell of Levant's propaganda. I think that some people look at Omar Cotter and they say, wow, your family like your parents were like buddies with Osama bin Laden. Your sister talks about martyrdom and seems to be uh, absolutely sympathetic to Islamist terror in its most classically defined violent 9-11. You know, your family is like, come on, wake up. This is the enemy. They're telling you they're the enemy and their kid is the enemy, too. And he was building bombs against us. And how stupid are we? to, you know, take the enemy uh, under our bosom and treat them so nicely. This is why we're going to fail and die. And so, you know, I think that that kind of like in the middle, you've got Canadians who can go back and forth because there is a part where their compassion kicks in and say, yeah, but this guy was just a kid. And they see that tape of him in Guantanamo crying and they know that he was nine when he was taken over there and they can have compassion for that. And the public media image of Cotter upon his return to Canada in that wonderful Michelle Shepard documentary. But not just that, like it felt to me like the cop showed up at his doorstep in Edmonton and said, welcome, let us know if there are any problems or if anyone bothers you. Nobody bothered him. The media portrayals were like, okay, like let's lay off this guy. He's been through hell. Let's let him try to have a normal life. He's like, it did matter that he had a nice warm smile and didn't seem angry. We, we wanted to make sure of that because frankly, he could have come back angry. I would be pretty pissed off with Canada if they abandoned me in Guantanamo Bay for 10 years. Uh, he wasn't. And so he was acceptable. Then he gets the payout and he's no longer acceptable. And now we're going to, we're going to hound him if he buys a shopping mall as an investment with his money. I mean, he can't get a job as a nurse, which he's trained to do because of his history, but we begrudge him this. And if he gets clapped for on TV, we begrudge him that. It was interesting to me to read Lauren Gunter in the Toronto Sun saying that 
I was a supporter of Cotter being repatriated from Guantanamo Bay because he is a Canadian citizen. I argued for him to receive the surgery he needed to save his eyesight at taxpayer expense. I welcomed the volunteerism of staff and students at Edmonton's King's University to help him earn a degree. I backed his bail release. And while I opposed the federal payout to him and still do, I thought it was fair that a judge declared last month that his sentence was at an end. But the point here is that the CBC is once again taking sides on a contentious issue using everyone's tax dollars. The only way to stop that is to end Ottawa's massive annual subsidy to CBC. Yeah. What is the other side? What is Omer Cotter's side? You know, like, like I want to understand this position because I like to understand Canadians, you have to understand people who voted for Rachel Notley and then voted for Jason Kenney, who voted for Kathleen Wynne. And then voted for Doug Ford. The same individuals who felt one way about Omar Cotter are now disgusted by Omar Cotter. You know, the, the same individuals who supported him don't support what? Him going on TV. Like, that's that's a bridge too far. I'm not sure I agree that when he came back to Canada that things were overwhelmingly sympathetic for him. I think that what has happened is that the narrative has definitely shifted for this payout. And so that becomes fodder for people to use against him and against Trudeau. And the conservatives have very cleverly seized on that. And you can see the effect of it everywhere. But the anti-Cotter sentiment was definitely there before this payout. There was definitely that voice saying, you know, he should rot in Guantanamo. He shouldn't come back to Canada. He should have his citizenship revoked. And I think that, you know, again, going back to the fact that the details of this situation don't actually matter for these people, it's kind of the confluence of the payout. The rise of the Conservative Party through politics that are aggressive and mean and a media that hasn't really covered him aside from, oh, remember Omar Khadr, he's gotten this payout. And so for tout le monde en part de, to say, where is this guy now? Right. They have lots of people on the show all the time. And so it makes complete sense that someone like Omar Khadr would go on a show like that. And for him to have questions that were difficult, that were not asked to make him be sympathetic, I mean, it was straight journalism. And instead, what you get from people, certainly I've gotten this all day uh, since I posted the interview yesterday, is people saying, well, we have to defund the CBC. And so this is about the campaign against the CBC more than it is about Omar Khadr. But Khadr is a very easy person for this kind of world to use to make their arguments that the CBC shouldn't exist. But it's also very enlightening in that they are taking issue with a show that is doing, I think, really basic journalism. And basic journalism for these people is what they're actually opposed to. They're not opposed to having a, a national public broadcaster. They are opposed to having someone who they dislike being on TV and interviewed. And for fuck's sakes, at a very, very small example of that, I know that very fucking well. You know, he's just like a useful prop for anybody. Like he's a useful prop if, for your arguments against the CBC. You know, he can be a useful prop for your arguments against Trudeau. You can't help it. just like, when is the drama for this guy going to be done? And but for this appearance, I think it's being clear that all he wants is for it to be done and over with and to go back to a normal life. I think people are wondering, well, then why would he do this show? The truth is he hasn't given any interviews for years and he must have suspected that like, OK, I'm going to be asked tough questions, but A, I'm going to be reaching a massive audience and B, it'll be fair. I will have an opportunity to say my piece and be heard and perhaps I can start to turn the tide 
I just, you know, I can't imagine what his life is like day to day in Edmonton. He, I think, cannot go to the United States. If I were him, I'd probably be afraid to travel anywhere. I don't know. I think that the cynics out there are saying he's going to try to stage some sort of media career. Maybe he just wants to have the option of living in Quebec quietly. I, I have no idea, but you can't. I have trouble wishing anything for him but just like peace, you know? Yeah, but but also like consider the you've, the one side that we've identified. We've got the, the side of hate that focuses on Trudeau, that focuses on Carter as a terrorist. The other side, which is the much more important side, and this is what journalists should be concerned with, is Carter gives us the opportunity to talk about human rights and the right of the person and the right to due process and the right of child soldiers. Like what he actually does offer Canadians is the opportunity for us to reflect collectively on the need to protect our human rights. And considering that the Conservative Convention uh, actually had a motion that examined stripping people of Canadian birthright citizenship, all of the discussions around asylum seeking and, and what it takes to become a Canadian and what it means to become a Canadian, the discussion that people of good conscience should be having that relates to Omar Khadr needs to make the connections between what he experienced as an extreme and what we need to defend in this country as it relates to the individual rights or the rights of the person. And again, keep in mind the context in, in Quebec, that question of, of fundamental human rights is on everybody's mind as we are debating the projet de loi that wants to ban religious symbols within the public sector, which will specifically target Muslim women. But see, now I feel like you're projecting your your agenda onto him just the same that as others do and using him as a prop for a different purpose. You know, Mayor Arar made a choice to be an advocate for human rights. He said, OK, let's use my case as an example. Let's have that conversation. I don't feel like Omar Khadr is saying that. He's not saying, let's look at human rights abuses. Let's look at extradition. I'm going to become an activist or I'm going to launch these conversations. I have no reason to believe he wants anything but to put to rest the whirlwind that uh, he basically went through no willful acts of his own. His life has been placed in since he was a small child. Nora, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you very much for joining me for it. Thank you. Everybody, you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Nora, where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? You can find me at N-O-L-O-R-E on Twitter. No lore. The podcast is sandyandnora.com. And you can find my writing uh, most recently in the National Observer. We have a website, canadalandshow.com. And this week, there's a new episode of Oppo in which Jen and Justin go through the whole goddamn country and tell you what's going on politically, province by province, territory by territory. I just learned things from that show. Nora, I'm sure you do too. But before I can get your response to that, I will say that this episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do here, you can get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts when you go to patreon.com slash Canada Land and help us out. We do rely on your support. Thank you.